This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Why can't they just be better parents? We know better than them. And why do we need to communicate with them about everything? Sound familiar? Yeah. Many teachers have said this many times in many meetings. Hey, everyone. Dr. Jones here with another episode of Seeing to Lead. And this week, I talked to Crystal Frommer, and she has a new book coming out that is all about parental communication. It's called When Calling Parents Isn't Your Calling, A Teacher's Guide to Communicating with All Parents. We have a great conversation, but I just want to mention that this book that we talk about, a lot of the questions come from it. It can be read alone, a book study, but most importantly, it should sit on the corner of almost every teacher's desk for a quick reference when they find themselves in a parent communication dilemma. I love this book personally because it has reflections and questions at the end to help guide you on reflecting on your own experiences so that they can be better. Look, we have a great conversation. And I started off with, why do we need to value parent interactions so much? Well, that set Crystal off to go on to explain that students spend most of their time from an early age with their families. And the more we can involve parents, the better we can understand our students as individuals. And if we understand our students better as individuals, we build those relationships that are incredibly important for student success in school. But to do that, leaders need to be able to support and engage their teachers in that type of work. So they need to know what style of communication works best for their teachers and then help them move to what is most effective through a coaching model. And the only way you can do that, leaders, is to be around where those conversations take place and to be present for teachers. It is critical for authenticity if we're going to build those relationships that we need. So don't necessarily stick to email. Use it to facilitate phone or even better face-to-face conversations. Look, Crystal goes on to explain a whole bunch of what we should be doing and how we should be acting in different meetings as we work to better communicate with our parents by offering grace, understanding, and a willingness to work together. I'm going to leave it right there and let you listen to the episode and hear what she has to say about adding the ability to have difficult conversations into teacher prep programs. So like I always like to say, let's get to getting better with Crystal Frommer on Seeing to Lead. 
stay curious and not judgmental. And that is so hard. It is really hard to do, but it's so important to do. Administrators can model that by asking more questions and saying, you know, I wonder why they're having trouble getting to school on time. You know, I'm going to check in with them next week and just see if there's anything I can do for them or if there's any support I can provide rather than accusing them of, you know, doing something wrong or not being a good parent. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Crystal Frommert has over 20 years experience as an educator in middle and high school. Crystal has taught math, computer science, and social justice in public, parochial, and international schools. Beyond teaching, She has served as an instructional coach, school board member, adjunct college instructor, technology coordinator, and assistant head of middle school. She has presented at local, national, international educational conferences on topics ranging from social and emotional learning to technology integration. She currently teaches middle school math in Houston, where she lives with her husband, daughter, and fluffy dog. You know, one of the reasons I'm so excited to be speaking with Crystal today is because of a book she has coming out that we're really going to dive into during this episode. It's When Calling Parents Isn't Your Calling, A Teacher's Guide to Communicating with All Parents. And the reason I'm really excited about this is because there's too many books. They're all educational research jargon and things like that. This is more of a quick reference for teachers that they can actually, I envision, have on their desk and use in their everyday practice. So without uh, further ado, welcome, Crystal. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Chris. I'm really excited to chat with you today. You know, Crystal, one of the things you said, well, you talk about a lot in your book, but one of the themes that runs through it, obviously, is the emphasis you put or the value you put on communicating with parents in the community. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and why it's so valuable that we do that? Because our students come from homes, you know, like they, they have a home that they go to, you know, ideally, that is a loving place, a healthy place uh, where they have a parent or parents and maybe some siblings. That is part of where they had their first learning was through their parents and through home. And so our job as educators is to partner with that other side of our kids' lives, which is their home life. They're spending less and less time at home, of course, as they get older, they've got sports going on and all of that. But the early years of their life, you know, getting into the preschool and then elementary school age, their parents are so much a part of their education. They might be, you know, built-in tutors. They're working with them on the weekends. They're very much a part of their education. And the more that we as educators can listen to those parents, we will know more about our kids And the more we know about our kids, then we can address their learning a little bit more effectively. And that is why I wrote this book, because I think that there is this, I strike that, I don't think, I know that there is this fear that some educators have of reaching out to parents. And maybe it's because something has happened in the past or wasn't, uh, didn't work out well, but it's really important that we keep working at it. 
addressing with parents that we are partnering together for the sake of our children's learning. You know, I, I really like the tact you take where you say, you know, it, it could be there's that fear, right? And oftentimes things we fear are not as scary as we make them out to be, but we have to take that first step. And how do leaders support their teachers in taking that first step and making sure that they're communicating with parents? You know, I think a lot of it is giving support. If you know your teachers, let's say that you are a school administrator, maybe you're a dean, you're a principal, a building principal, you know, some sort of leadership that you've got going on within your school, you need to know the teachers that you work with and know their preferred mode of communication with parents. You can't generalize. You can't make uh, assumptions and can't say, oh, just because someone is young, they don't like to make phone calls because there are plenty of young teachers who are fine with making phone calls. And there are plenty of teachers who have been in the field for a long time who would prefer email, right? So just knowing what their preferred style is and if it's a style that's not serving them well, right? Knowing that, then leading with a coaching conversation, not so much a directive, but coaching them and saying, hey, you know what? You know, Mr. Smith down the hall, he's really great at talking to parents about this particular issue. If you wanted to go listen in to a parent conference or listen into a phone conversation, but the administrator can step in with that coaching conversation and help that reluctant teacher to get that in-house training that he or she might need. See, you, you mentioned knowing staff, right? Which is always so important for leaders to do. We, we have to know our teachers if we're going to be able to support them the best we can. But let's get nitty gritty for a minute. So we know that teachers contact parents or specific teachers contact parents. And you talk about knowing their style. But more importantly, knowing whether their style is serving them well or not, how do leaders know whether that style is serving them well? Do they wait for the teacher to report? Is it after they get a bad report or a bad phone call from a parent? How do leaders go about that and support teachers to figure out what style works for them? I worked with a teacher who was a phenomenal teacher. I mean, just excellent math teacher. She absolutely hated calling parents on the phone and talking to them in person. She would much rather send an email. And, and to that end, she actually wasn't all that great at responding either. So she would refer to email, but then she'd get a response and then she would completely forget and not respond to them. So I would say this is something that she probably needed to work on. And how did I know this as a colleague? And how would an administrator know this? Well, she would go into uh, you know, our office that we shared as math teachers. So she would come into the office uh, with that we shared as math teachers and just start complaining about this parent is just ridiculous. I can't believe this parent's mad, you know, just because I didn't respond for three days. And so just her comments that she would make and the struggles that she was having with parents, and a lot of it was caused by her own neglect of not, you know, responding in a timely manner. So listening carefully and being in those spaces you will pick up on what's going on with the teachers as far as their parent communication, as far as what's going on in their classroom. Beyond that, beyond just being around and listening to what's going on, I worked with a phenomenal department chair who, when he would do check-ins with us as faculty members, he always would ask at the very end of the evaluation conversation, what is it that you need from me? And I loved that question that he would always ask because I felt very comfortable and open telling him as my supervisor, because our department chair was our supervisor, this is what I need from you to support me. And if I were having a struggle with a parent or a particular child or part of the curriculum, I knew that was a moment 
that I could ask him about that and say, I need you to support me more with this. And he would do it. And furthermore, even if we weren't in an evaluation, you know, formal conversation, he opened that door just with the way that he was. He opened that door that I could go to him without judgment and say, can I get your help with this? So that's two things. I think just being around listening and also showing with your personality and with your words that you are open for people to come to you without being judged. Those are two fantastic points that that really work well together. And just the idea that you mentioned that example with the email reminded me of something you wrote in your book about email, friend, or foe. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by friend or foe and how do we keep it from being our foe and make it our friend? Um, I took from uh, author Todd Whitaker, who writes a book called uh, Dealing with Difficult Parents. Who He's amazing. And he says very adamantly that uh, bad news should never be delivered by email. And I agree with him to some degree. I think that you could probably write something pretty uh, not severe, like, you know, Johnny didn't bring his homework today. I mean, that is bad news, but I think that's okay for an email. It depends on the relationship you have with Johnny's family. But if you've got some bad news or something that's more of a sensitive nature, you need to have your voice or face-to-face is even better involved in that conversation because tone can get lost completely with an email. I also work in an international school environment where many of our parents and many of our faculty members, English is not their first language. And I find that when someone is typing in a a language that's other than their native or heritage language, that sometimes email can come across with a different tone than they expected. So I've written some emails in Spanish and I'm sure it probably comes across like I'm yelling at somebody because I don't know, the, you know, the nuances of it. Right. So if someone is writing not in their heritage language as well, then it may not be received the same. So that's something I've learned working in an international environment. So email, you got to be careful with it. I like email for a preliminary conversation starter. Hi, I would love to have a conversation with you today about Blake's you know, assignments this week. Is there a good time that I could call you? I am free after four o'clock. What number is best? That right there tells the parent, I have a, I'd like to talk with you about it. We're partnering together. I'm not angry. I just want to have a conversation. And you're also leaving yourself on the driver's seat because you've set the time that you're available and you've asked them what number would you like for me to call? Because I will be the one who is in control of this conversation and I will call you. And I think that short email does so much for just starting that phone conversation off on a good foot. That's so important, especially the two things that you mentioned, the style and the heritage. It's one of the reasons that when I do walkthroughs with teachers, I give them voice memos for feedback when I leave. One, because it's it, I can do it instantaneously out in the hall as soon as I step out in the hall. I do it through a Voxer. I use a voice recorder, but also because of the tone, because it does matter so much. You're not sitting there dissecting what was written or anything like that. But you mentioned that style and heritage piece. And earlier when we first started talking, it really stuck out to me when you mentioned that parents, the kids spend all their time with their parents and they're a family and the parents have the best knowledge about the students, but that diminishes as they get up in grades. So in high school, the parent involvement gets even less and less. And I'd be lying if I didn't say, I noticed that in myself with my two kids, that I was much more on top of things and involved when they were in elementary school, the middle school. How is it 
with that type of style, heritage, or habits, if you will, how do teachers, I guess, break that, for lack of a better term? Or how do they move in on that to pull the parents in more and draw them in more so they communicate more with us? Um, I do have a chapter in the book about the varying levels of engagement parents can have. And that could vary by family that can vary even within the family of the season of their life. You know, if there's an illness in the family or they're working two jobs or three jobs, it that could be a situation where engagement is just not going to be up to what the teacher wants at that particular time. So being patient and seeing if that evolves and changes, I think is also important rather than labeling and saying, well, those never call back. Well, maybe they're going through something right now, right? So just keeping an open mind of people's situations as well. But I would say in general, I have been teaching middle school uh, for a very long time. I'm in my 20-something. I've lost count here. And most of that time has been in middle school. And in fact, one of my students said to me uh, not too long ago, she said, kind of feel sorry for you, Mrs. Frommert, because you've been in eighth grade for so long. And they get to move on and I keep staying in eighth grade. And I have the, I'm blessed to have the experience of working with middle schoolers because they're hilarious, they're quirky, they're very weird. And I love that phase of their lives. But parents, they're going through for three years and then they go up into the high school years and then they go up into the college years. But Ms. Frommer has stayed. She has stayed in middle school this whole time. And so I do have a little bit of more knowledge, I would say, than a typical parent who has one or two kids in middle school or has gone through middle school or approaching middle school and being that listening ear when they don't understand their kid because that's going to happen. Kids change so quickly at this age. And I have parents who say, I I just don't know what to do. He is on video games all the time. He's, you know, he tells me he does his homework, but I can see that he's not doing his homework. I don't understand him. I don't understand her. And listening to the parent and responding with reassurance of, yeah, that's pretty normal for seventh grade. And when you are a teacher like that who can respond with a little bit of expertise, not that I'm an expert, but a little bit of expertise, a little bit of confidence, and it's going to be okay, then you open that door, just like my department chair does, you open that door for parents to talk to you more. And I don't mean that they're going to bother you or bug you with little questions of like, what's the schedule on Friday? Those little kinds of things they could just go to the website for. I mean, when there's something is bothering their child, they're going to feel more open to going to you because they know that you'll be a listening ear and you will support that kid. So that's my answer for how to get that engagement flowing a little bit more freely with the kids as they're getting older. I'm glad that you answered that way because you touched base on another important piece you brought up in your book about giving parental advice and yeah. how that's that's a no-no. And you even right. mentioned that in your answer, how you danced around that and said, you know, you're not the expert and you're, you need to listen. I don't know if you want to go into more of that because there's a danger to that when teachers do that in a meeting. Mm-hmm. But then even after the meeting, when teachers say, why can't they just be a better parent or do you hear that talk afterwards? Is there a way leaders can help support teachers in not doing and engage them in the practice of not doing it afterwards, not the, you know, the parking lot faculty meeting type deal. Right. You know, I think administrators participate in that as well. And so I would say, absolutely. Absolutely. I would say the number one uh, piece of advice would be not to engage yourself as an administrator because your teachers are watching you as a school leader. And they're like, well, if she or he's going to say that about the family, then I guess it's okay for me to say that about the family. So I would say start with modeling. 
your modeling of, you know, after that parent conference, you're maybe you're all frustrated. You wish the parent was doing more, but we can't wish a better situation onto somebody. You need to be careful with, with the shoulds, right? Because we don't know everybody's situation. And if we're shoulding each other and saying, well, they should be doing this, their kids should be here on time, their kids should have breakfast in the morning. We don't really know what else is with the family. Right. And so modeling that as an administrator for the teachers, keeping them curious. I'm a big fan of the show Ted Lasso. Yes. That's on Apple TV Plus. Love that show. And his way of life is to stay curious and not judgmental. And that is so hard. It is really hard to do, but it's so important to do. And administrators can model that by asking more questions and saying, you know, I wonder why they're having trouble getting to school on time. You know, I'm going to check in with them next week and, and just see if there's anything I can do for them or if there's any support I can provide rather than accusing them of, you know, doing something wrong or not being a good parent. You know, it's something you said there. You ready to get maybe a little controversial? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Something you said there, because that's so true with administrators needing to model that for their teachers. Because it's the whole idea of if you hear somebody talking poorly about somebody else when they're not in the room, you start to question whether they talk poorly about you when you're not in the room, just by nature. But we do a lot of talking with teachers and leaders do it with other leaders about you don't know what that student's going through. You don't know what their family life's like when they walk through the door. You don't know everything that preceded them walking through the door of the school. Is there a way that should be reciprocated where we can have students understand that they don't necessarily know what the teachers have gone through or other parents know necessarily what the teachers have gone through before they've walked through the door of the school that day. Oh, wow. That, I love that spin. That's so interesting. You know, I'm the kind of teacher who I'm pretty open with my kids. I actually wrote an Edutopia article about authenticity and about your limits of, you know, what do you share? You know, I don't say, guys, I have this weird rash on my arm. I mean, not, I don't go that deep with them, right? But, you know, but, this is an unidentified rash. What do you think it is? <laughs> but I'm pretty open with my kids. I think of one time, this was a long time ago. Now, I'm at an international school. And so San Pellegrino is a sparkling drink. I don't know. Maybe it's Italian. I think it is. And it's we good. sell those here in our school. And I remember one day, I just was not feeling well. And this is before the pandemic when that was like a red alert, right? I wasn't feeling well. And I said, guys, I'm just going to sit at my desk today because I'm just not 100%. So I'm going to teach from my desk, which is not what I normally do. I'm just not, I'm just not feeling great. This kid comes back from lunch with a brand new set San Pellegrino and says, I thought this might help your stomach. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. And he just thought of me to go get this, you know, this sparkling water for me. It's really nice. So I am open with the kids as far as a little bit of what's going on in my family life, a little bit. If I'm not feeling 100%, I'll tell them. I'm also really clear with them and I'll say, I have no patience right now. <laughs> right now, I have none. Okay? So think about what you're going to say next. I'm like, okay, okay, yes. So I think being transparent, being you know, authentic with your kids is going to help with your kids understanding that you're a human being. And, you know, parents, it's the same thing. It's harder with parents. I don't talk to parents as much as I talk to my kids. The parents of my students probably had no idea that particular day I had a tummy ache, right? So it is a little more difficult, especially when you're getting an email from a parent that might be a little 
salty and you're like, you know what? I'm just having a really crap day. I didn't need that email today. But that parent didn't know what you're going through. Just like you don't know what that parent's going through. And that's why you should pick up the phone. Or you could write the parent back and say, I would love to get back to you. Let me call you tomorrow. Just put it off till tomorrow, right? I think that's a way that we can be just a little bit more transparent with our kids so they see that we are human beings as well. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. It brings up another topic that I found really interesting, and that's tough conversations. Mm -hmm. And you mentioning the word salty made me think of it. So tough conversations, look, we all like to sit around and say, oh, you don't avoid the tough conversations. Meanwhile, we go and bite our nails before we enter into one because we get concerned about it. So how do we as leaders help teachers engage in those tough conversations? Because oftentimes with a little bit of understanding, with a little bit of empathy, those tough conversations turn out to not be so tough. I mean, yes, you need to deliver tough news sometimes. However, it's, it always gets worse the longer you wait and that you avoid it. So how do we support teachers? How do people engage teachers in the act of making that first step? And then if it is a little rough, helping them continue to make that step. Yeah, I mentioned this in the book as well about teacher prep training and student teaching opportunities that we have. I don't know all of the research, obviously, around what every teacher prep program is doing in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. I can really only speak to a few and also anecdotally from other colleagues. As a student teacher and my friends as student teachers, my colleagues as student teachers never, ever had a chance in their student teaching or during their undergrad years to sit down and have a tough parent conversation before they actually became a teacher. So what we're doing is we are sending out these brand new teachers into the classrooms that are overcrowded already. And maybe some parents are just a little bit upset for reasons that have nothing to do with the teacher. And we are throwing them literally into the deep end with these parents with no experience. And and I really don't know the reason why we don't give student teachers more opportunity with this. Why don't we have a class on this in undergrad for teacher preparation programs? I'm not sure why. Uh, Maybe my book will help, I hope, if you're a college professor listening. But if we could get student teachers to ease into parent conferences that are going on with the students in their classes that they're, you know, observing and working with and not try to protect them. So let's have them come into a medium tough conversation. And then the next time, let's have them come into a little warmer tough conversation. Even ask them to speak up a little bit. 
you know, they know the children too. Can they participate and speak up about what they're observing with the child? They are professional. They're training to be, you know, certified educators. And I think that would help with, you know, once I'm in in my own classroom, I don't want to be thrown into the deep end and I'm terrified. And if you're coming into the classroom and you have gone through a teacher prep program that gave you no experience with tough conversations with parents, then administrators of, you know, working with these new teachers can do more by being present. It's not a micromanaging or a hovering act, I don't think. But to go to a teacher and say, would you like for me to be present in this meeting? Rather than telling him or her, I'm going to be present, you can say, would you like my support? I'm happy to be there in this meeting with you. And I will engage as much as you think is appropriate. So putting that teacher in the driver's seat. I have an example of this. We have parent conferences at our school and they used to be scheduled every 15 minutes. And I had for two days in a row and I had 54 back-to-back parent conferences. One parent didn't sign up. And so what happens when you don't sign up is there's no more slots available. And therefore you're stuck at the end of the day, which means I'm stuck at school at the end of the day. (laughs) after 50 more conferences. But this particular parent was known for being very loquacious and just talked and talked. So the principal, very wise, supportive principal I worked with, he knew this about her. And he stood, I'm pointing at my door, he stood outside this door and paced back and forth. And when it was time for her to, you know, leave and let me go home for the holiday, because for a holiday, he uh, he knocked on the door and he said, oh, you know, Mrs. Jones, it is so nice that you came today. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Let me show you. Let me show you to the parking lot. Just so gracious. And he helped me so that I didn't have that weird, you know, kind of conversation to say, now our conversation is over, Mrs. Jones. So that support of being, yeah. being there, knowing, uh, knowing what support is needed without being a micromanager. Awesome. That's, you know, as anybody listening can tell, This book is definitely something they want to pick up. I mean, you have so many different stories in it. You have so many tips and little areas to reflect on so people can continually improve their practice because we all have room to grow. So from the most seasoned person uh, that is good with contacting parents and staying in touch with parents to the brand new person that didn't get that in a teacher prep program. Because when you're talking about that, I want to put my hands up and yell, preach. But this book is, as we were saying before I hit record, there's nothing like this out there. And there there needs to be something like this out there. It's so handy and such a reference thing. So I say that because we're kind of getting to the end of our episode here. But I ask everybody two questions before they uh, leave the podcast. The first one is, if you were an educator, who, not what would you be? That is so hard to answer because the very first thing that my brain goes to is what would I do? I always thought it'd be really cool to be a traffic reporter. Because, and that's, I'm answering the wrong question. I'm answering what? Um, no, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, my kids have asked me that. Like, what would you do if you weren't a teacher? So oh, I love talking about traffic because I'm, you know, part of me is like an old man who just loves to complain about traffic. And I would love to be in a helicopter just telling you about all the traffic in Houston, Texas. But that's not what you asked. You didn't ask what. So who would I be? I would be, if I weren't an educator, I would be independently wealthy and uh, I would give my money away very generously. Just, I would just be the person whose name is on every foundation of every museum in the city. 
There would be buildings at schools named after me. I would just give you give. That, that's who I would be if I wasn't an educator. You know what I love about your answer <laughs> is, well, there, there are a couple of things I really like about it. But what I love about it is in all the time that I've asked this question from people and they've addressed it in so many different ways, they've approached answering it in so many different ways that it really is fascinating to listen to. But you just set your own parameters. <laughs> You'd have tons of money that you just give away. And if you're the first person to ever do that, just, you know what? Okay, Chris, you're going to ask me this question. I'm going to set my own rules. But <laughs> that's excellent. So thank you for that. I mean, sure. So the last question before we leave that uh, I'm really interested in, in hearing from you is what's the most important piece of advice you would give to both leaders and teachers as they work to better support engage and empower those they serve? This, I'll keep this answer clean because this is an education podcast, but there is parenting advice I read once and it was two steps to be a good parent. One is CTFD, which stands for calm the F down. Okay, so I'll keep that clean. (laughs) And second step is there is no second step, just see the first step. And I think about CTFD because I tend to be an anxious person. And I tend to get worked up about things and think things are more more of a catastrophe than they are. And so I remember CTFD in my head as a parent. And I remember that as a teacher. And as I've gotten older and more experienced, I am getting so much better at realizing, whoa, I just need to calm down a little bit. This is not that big of a deal. And I think administrators could do that too. Just let's just take this in stride. It's not that big of a deal. I worked with an administrator once who would say, well, if we do that, there'll be parent pushback and would just pump the brakes and say, we're not going to do it because there'll be parent pushback. Well, so what if there's parent pushback? I mean, maybe it's a good idea still. We'll manage that. We'll manage the parent pushback. So maybe they needed to calm down a little bit and just go with the flow a little bit. I have become such a different teacher than when I was 20 years ago when I started. I was very strict I was hard-nosed. These are my policies and that's it. And I thought that's how you're supposed to be. And with the experience, I have just chilled out a little bit more and realized you were here to learn. These kids are kids. Kids aren't getting worse, in my opinion. They're still just goofy kids doing goofy stuff. And I just sometimes just need to calm down a minute. That's my advice for educators, parents, administrators, everybody. That's excellent advice. That goes across the board. If we could not blow things up into such big deals or act as if they are the end of the world because the sun's going to come up tomorrow or it might rain, who knows, but tomorrow's going to be here and it's going to be okay. Right, right. We had a, I learned this from other people. I didn't learn this by myself. I've learned to work watching other people who are much wiser than me, but we have in Houston, we have a lot of uh, floods. I don't know if you've heard of this on the news, but we have a lot of floods all the time. Uh, Very common. And one of the ditches near our school filled up to, I would say maybe five feet deep of water. Perfect pool for high school kids to just start swimming in, right? And what did they do? A few of them were like, heck yeah, took off their shoes and just went for a swim. And an administrator came out there and was, you know, taking names like, you know, you're obviously not allowed to do this. This is dangerous. You could be swept away into the bayou. Who knows, right? And I remember a teacher saying, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of teenagers making bad choices before. Just very sarcastically, like, not that big of a deal. They're going to yeah. drop off. They didn't get swept away in the bayou. It's going to be fine. Yeah, they should have consequences, but yeah, they're kids. Yeah. No, that's, that, that is perfect. Well, you know, 
You've said so much today that I think is so helpful. Moving forward, if people want to get in touch with you, I know you have your book coming out. Do you know when it's coming out? It should be coming out in about a month. So let's say early April. Let's look for that. Okay, so we'll look for that early April. But if people want to get in touch with you, Crystal, and they don't want to wait for the book because of some of the stuff you said, what's the best way to reach out to you? I'm pretty active on Twitter. And that's a great place. And I love to engage in conversations. I post a lot of what I write for Edutopia, which is conversations about, you know, uh, ungrading is a very popular topic I like to talk about, just focusing on learning rather than grading. And so my Twitter account is Mrs underscore Frommert, and that's F-R-O-M-E-R-T. There actually are not very many Fromerts on Twitter. So if you just search up Frommert, you'll find me on there. <laughs> uh, same with LinkedIn. If you go on LinkedIn, you search Frommert, you'll find me and a couple of my cousins, but that's about it. So <laughs> that sounds great. And what I'll do is, I, I mean, that'll be in the show notes, but as soon as the book releases, if you shoot me an Amazon link, what I'll do is I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yay, so thank you. People can pick that up. No, absolutely. Like I said, I, you know, you were kind enough to send me a draft and let me skim through it. And just from the conversation, I think people get the idea that there is a ton of useful information in there. Really good job. Kudos to you. It's well written. It, it's meaningful and it's, and I know you said you wrote an article on this before, but it's authentic. Thank and you. That truly yeah. comes through. So it's, uh, it's meant it's, I mean it when I read it, I found myself. You know, when you said skim it, I started to skim it and then I read it deeper and then I read oh. it deeper and I found that I couldn't just skim it and let it go. So what a nice was, compliment. Thank you for saying that. I hope people enjoy it. I encourage everybody to go out and get a copy. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I, I enjoyed talking. You had a lot of good things to say and I'd love to stay in touch and collaborate with you in the future. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.